dissecting, equipping, and promoting emerging supernaturalists. You are listening to the Supernaturalist Podcast Show. This is the show that exists to connect, equip, and promote emerging supernaturalists on a global level. And I trust that that's why you're listening today is because it's your desire to see God's kingdom come, his will be done, established on the earth through your daily contribution. It's such an honor having you listening today. If we haven't met yet, my name is Darren Stott, lead pastor at a crazy, cool, awesome, amazing church called Seattle Revival Center. You can check us out online at seattlerevivalcenter.com. Author of a book, yep, I wrote a book. It's called Pattern Interrupt, and you can check it out at thepatterninterrupt.com and founder of Supernaturalist Ministries. So we're doing all kinds of stuff like this weekly podcast, as well as the new radio show on Seattle's Alternative Talk, 1150 AM. We're having lots of fun, and you can access uh, all those episodes and archives um, right on my Facebook, facebook.com forward slash the Darren Stop. Before we dive into this episode, just want to encourage you to subscribe. So if you subscribe to this podcast show, all the weekly audio content will flow automatically right onto your streaming device, maybe your computer or your tablet or your mobile device. That would be like a, a cell phone. And so um, I've created a link to get you to iTunes. It's a little shortcut. Just go to thedarrenshow.com. That's thedarrenshow.com. And that'll redirect you to iTunes where you can subscribe. And if you don't do an iDevice, if you're like on a Galaxy Quest um, Android, something like that, then make sure that you subscribe on SoundCloud. Next, I would love it if you would take two minutes, just two minutes to leave a, re a review on iTunes. Reviews are the word of mouth for podcasts. And so reviews do extraordinary wonders. It might not seem like a big thing. It's actually a huge thing. You can give this show one star. That means that you think it's kind of lame. Or you can give it five stars. And that means that this thing is off the chain. And a lot of you guys have been doing this. And I just want to thank you. Thank you. Thank you for, for taking the time to leave a review on the show. And again, to do that, just go to, you guessed it, thedarrenshow.com. He's one of the most polarizing figures in the charismatic, prophetic, revivalistic, NAR stream or whatever you call this thing that we find ourselves a part of. You either love him or you hate him. Secretly, of course, as you can't publicly hate somebody that's forbidden by Jesus. But if you don't have an opinion of him, it's probably because you've never heard of him. And that's cool too. I'm talking about John Crowder. Do you remember the movie, the TV show, The Saint, with uh, Simon Templer, the thief for hire with multiple disguises and accents? That's, that's kind of like John, except he's a preacher, an author, a missionary, a YouTube prophet. And every time I see like an event poster or a YouTube video for John, I'm always like, man, who, who is that? Wait, wait a sec. What? That, that's John Crowder. Oh, oh my gosh. What's, what's he doing? Wait, wait. What's he saying? Ah, can you say that out loud? John, I guess John's doing it. All right. Um, and I, <laughs> and I can say that John is probably one of the most creative and hardworking itinerants on the globe. He self publishes a magazine called the ecstatic. He publishes a weekly YouTube 
teaching called the Jesus Trip. It's a 10 to 20 minute sit down comedy routine that's secretly laced with grace. He has a writing disease that I actually hope is contagious. John offers a monthly web seminar for subscribers called The Inner Sanctum at thenewmystics.tv. Despite if you're a fan or a follower of John's, you have to admit that John Crowder's stuff is always unique, it's distinct, it's creative, and there certainly is a standard of excellence on everything that he creates. John hosts massive evangelism campaigns in some of the most poorest areas of the world. If you follow him, oftentimes you'll see him playing with lepers, not leopards, but actual lepers, like people you know who have missing body so, yep, you'll also see him loving on ladyboy transsexuals in Thailand. You'll see him building houses for for the homeless, mass feedings, and educating orphans and abandoned children. If there's blood in the streets, if it's on the nightly news, you'll probably find John and his homeboys traveling in and hosting some sort of glory party. John, his wife, Lily, and their four children find satisfaction in the simplicity of loving God and demonstrating the finished work of the cross. I read that right off of his website. John's ministry has been pretty controversial, I would say. Um, back in the day, John's meetings looked more like Comic-Con meets Hemp Fest, except instead of hemp, everybody was taking hits of Jesus or Jehovah as they would call it. People didn't exactly like that except for the non-Christians who actually replaced their weed stashes for Jesus. John's message on grace also became a great reason to attack him. Statements were getting thrown around like, you can't sin anymore. You don't need to repent. You don't have to pray. Uh, we actually talk about a lot of those different statements um, and some of those grace exaggerations that have been kind of uh, framed as attacks against John. We actually talk about that today um, on this podcast. More recently, John's book on inclusionism and the wider than expected scope of atonement has also been quite controversial. We don't really get into that on this podcast. John is funny, witty, and he's really stinking smart. And for that reason, I was actually somewhat intimidated going into this interview with him. I don't think I even realized it until it was over um, how nervous I was. And that's not necessarily because of John. It's just because we don't necessarily have that that depth of relationship. We've only hung out like one other time. And, um, and that was years ago. And so uh, I will say that John was such a gentleman. And I'm just so thankful that he would actually take two hours out of his day just to hang out with me online and, and to and to answer questions. Perhaps you're like, Darren, I don't get it. Like why, Darren, what are you doing? Like, why would you have John Crowder on your podcast? I, you know, you're promoting this guy. And um, so the reason why I wanted to do this interview is for three, three different reasons. Um, number one, it was just to satisfy my own curiosity. I just, I've, I've followed John for years and I, I just had a bunch of questions, a bunch of stuff that I was just curious about a bunch of stuff. I just wanted to talk to him about. And I thought, man, I'd love to just be able to, to, to like capture and record that conversation and share it. And what I love about podcasts is that podcasts aren't typically preachy, meaning that John and I, we can just, we can just talk and that nothing that we're saying is being forced on you. Like you don't have to agree with, with anything. This isn't like a sermon. This is just a conversation between two dudes. And so there's just stuff that I was curious about, stuff I wanted to just talk to him about. And that's, and that's, that's what I did here. The second reason for this is that I wanted for you to meet John, the person. You see, there's kind of like John Crowder, the author, and then there's kind of John Crowder, the YouTube Simon Templar theologian comedian who probably made fun of your most recent prayer meeting. <laughs> 
And, and then there's John the dude, right? John the person. And I wanted to connect you with him. And that's one of the purposes of this podcast is to connect. And the third reason is that I wanted to offend you. <laughs> You're welcome. Um, offense is a gift. And when we get offended, there's like this window in our soul that opens up and we get to see what's going on inside of it. Too many times we get offended and we say, see, that's the problem with that person. Instead of asking the question, why is this stirring up fear in me? Is there shame in my past that's causing this conversation to trigger me more than it should? And is my anger or my hatred actually a form of control? Because why am I internally either shutting down or why is there something in me that wants to shut this person down or shut this conversation down? You see, um, offense is a gift. <laughs> and for that very reason, if you're not a fan of John Crowder, for that very reason, you should definitely keep listening to this podcast because this podcast is a gift to you. Like I said, you're welcome. Without any further ado, let's dive into this amazing hour and a half long interview with John Crowder right here on the Supernaturalist podcast show. Let's go. So John Crowder, what's up? Good to be here with you, buddy. It's been a while since we've hung out. Man, it's been too too long. I, I in fact I think that the um the only time we really got to hang out was just after um I had quit judging you. And so we were sitting at this dark oh. restaurant and I had to repent to you for, for hating you. <laughs> well, that was very nice of you. See, I don't even remember that exactly. You so, don't even remember that. <laughs> no, no, no. I, I, I hold no grudges. <laughs> yeah. It was such, it was such a great conversation. And we, we, we talked about mystic union and you had just written that book. And I was a big fan of, of a lot of the reformers and just kind of coming out of kind of that new Calvinistic Mark Driscoll, John Piper kind of thing myself. And so I loved how, how you married this whole concept of like reformed theology with, uh, with like charismatic mystic encounters. And I, I, I'd never seen that done before. And I just thought it was, it was brilliant. Yeah. I mean, there, there tends to be a real separation and sort of ideologue camps. And I, you know, I've always sort of been a guy that wanted to pull the, the good out of each stream and without having to bite off everything and just, you know, think for ourselves a bit, but eat the meat, spit out the bones and see how certain things, some people, they don't know that things can mesh, but there is a, a, a synchronicity, I guess you could say, if you look for it. Yeah. 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 And so just bringing some explanation, I'm, uh, I didn't know you and I hadn't really read any of your, any of your stuff. So all I had were these sound bites that were going out. Like, have you seen that guy that like is, is smoking the ghost and they're, they're inject, you know? And so I I would hear all these stories and I would just think like, man, this, this sounds like a crazy cult. Right. Like, like who is, who is, who is this guy? You know, and then you would kind of see these like pirated YouTube videos, you know, like that people are posting of like the, the <laughs> you know, and then, the heresy hunters and then like sort of rehashed with all their words over the, over them and stuff. Yeah. 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 And then when I actually read one of your books, I thought, man, this guy, this guy's actually brilliant. He's not, you know, he's not a crackhead. Like he's like, he's a theologian, like, you know, and, and so, um, it's been interesting, man, just kind of following your your journey and your your writing journey and your ministry. 
And um, I mean, even just looking at like, I think that if, if just looking at your desire, your passion to see intimacy with Jesus, right? To see that be like the primary narrative within Christianity. And then also um, seeing intimacy and then just kind of the fruit of that intimacy, which would be um, like uh, like supernatural fruit, right? Like that supernatural natural kind of mystic kind of place that comes from actually knowing Jesus. And it looks like that's really what you've been going after. But like, how would you describe it? Like when someone says like, John, like, what are you actually, what are you doing here? <laughs> like yeah. with all of these books and all these topics and all of your videos, like what are you, what are you going after, man? Yeah, I, I, it is a good question because I do have a, a, a writing problem. I think you know, I've cranked out so many books. It's, it's good actually this year. I'm, I'm taking some time off from just writing and taking a break. But um, yeah, I, I think if you if you back up, it's like it, it could seem pretty overwhelming, like a big corpus of stuff. But man, for for us, it's just a real simple. Our, you know, our foundation is really just uh, Christ and Him crucified. That, that we're united to Him not because of some um, emotional pietistic feeling that we have as important as that is, but because of his finished work that, that it's not about us getting to God, but that God already stepped into our humanity in Jesus. And so it's a, it's an unpackaging and a discovery and an enjoyment of a union that is absolutely finalized completely in him. And so as simple as that sounds, it's funny how so many streams of the church, we get it backwards. So it's all about this invitation to get Jesus into your life. But the gospels, the reality that he's already brought us into his life, that, that he's the one who pulled it off as the God man. And and so it's funny how, you know, so many of these really things that we think of as simple Sunday school, basic gospel realities. Yep. Well, again, we just had it upside down. So so for us, that's it. And there is supernatural fruit out of that. There is the you know, experience and, and and not just the crazy, you know, miraculous stuff, which we love all of that, but, but just basic fruit and relationships and life skills and, and that kind of thing that come out of it. And I think some people that maybe they'd, they'd see little sound bites, like you said online, and they would, you know, you know, think that I'm just levitating from my office <laughs> chair to my kitchen every day, but you know, I've got work to do, emails to delete, kids to drive to, <laughs> to ball practice. So, so I mean, we just like normal life as well, but it's that it's all, all the just to have a healthy normal life it's it's all got to be rooted in that reality of of again christ and him crucified so i'd say that's just the underpinning of it really if you were to boil it down yeah no that that's so good i, I wanted to ask you um the doctrine of salvation and yeah. this process of of getting saved i've just been kind of just thinking on this like at what point are you actually are you actually saved and um and when we're doing things like evangelism or we're we're teaching the gospel and it seems like people are getting it um and and we feel like we should lead somebody in that prayer you know the, the, mm. the like the prayer right the mm-hmm. <laughs> the sinner's prayer At, yeah. if if you take somebody through that prayer and they're you know and they're i mean i guess I've, I've just been thinking on this whole thing of salvation and at what point are you are you saved at what point do you know that you've actually been born again and do you think we actually do people a disservice when we're like, you know, hey, my name's Darren. Jesus loves you. Pray with me. <laughs> you know, um, not that I would ever do that, John. But <laughs> right. <laughs> what am I praying? Don't worry about it. Just pray with me. Dear Jesus, I'm a sinner. <laughs> so, well, yeah, 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 man. Like when it comes to salvation, like what is that? 
as you've been studying in into in, in your own encounter and your own story, yeah, where yeah. are we where are we missing it? Well, man, I I tell you, Darren, this is this is a really a this is really a crazy one because uh, this is where the real mind bender flips in, and um, and and the more that I thought I was giving off, getting off the reservation with this one, but really I was I was digging more into the orthodox gospel is um, um, T.F. Torrance, who is a great theologian over the past century, arguably the best theologian and appreciated by scholars in every denomination, Methodist, Catholic even. I mean, people really love this guy. Uh, Somebody asked him one time, he he became the preacher at a new church and they they wanted to make sure he was a real Christian. So they came up to him and they said, uh, Brother Torrance, they said, when were you born again? And he said, 2,000 years ago, when Jesus came out of the virgin womb and when he stepped out of the virgin tomb. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so, so often what we've done is we've sort of um, banked on the conversion experience itself rather than, than the objective reality of what you're experiencing, if that makes sense. I think we've put the subjective awakening over the objective reality, and the objective reality is that the new creation happened in the the coming of Christ in the incarnation you know heaven and earth were woven together in the god man so there, there's there is this new birth that's rooted in Jesus so uh, I, I guess another way to say it because it, it is as simple as this is I guess when you see it it could, it'd be sort of a complex thing to to rewrap our heads around because we think of a time of when I was saved. When did you get born again, brother? Yep. When did it happen? We sort of lock it into time and space. Like I went up to the altar November 2nd, 1982, and Jesus magically jumped inside of me. Right. right. Uh, but the, way, the way Paul describes it on his road to Damascus experience was, uh, you know, he, he gets knocked off his ass on the road to Damascus and he, and he says, God who called me from birth was pleased to reveal his son within me. So what if we saw faith not as this magical transaction by which we get God, but we see it as this awakening, this revealing of the one who we've been associated with from the foundation of the world. It's not about my experience itself. Now, we're pro-experience, but my conversion is an awakening to something, a union that he's already pulled off in his own saving act. So it, it sort of takes the the brunt off of have I believed enough? Have I experienced enough versus, whoa, OK, I'm in thanks to Jesus. Now I get to experience. It's from a place of arrival that we're already in versus trying to get ourselves in in a, in a humanistic way. Ho- hopefully that makes sense. I mean, I know it's a big paradigm shift for people, but. Um, yeah, absolutely. And so now um, where are you at with it when it comes to people's understanding of the doctrine of adoption? You know, many people believe that we are orphans and um, and that upon salvation, then you kind of get uh, adopted by God. Like God comes to the orphanage and, and you've been illegitimate. And um, so when it comes to the doctrine of adoption, I, it kind of sounds like you'd be saying, hey, we've always been sons. Yeah. And um, but then you have Paul that talks about the spirit of adoption and that kind of thing. And so where, where do you think uh, where, where are you at when it comes to the doctrine of adoption? And, and can you kind of help us? Um, see that in a new light. 
Oh, absolutely. And I think it's a great question. And, and, and even, you know, looking at it through the sort of what's generally accepted as that lens, I mean, that's still an amazing thing. And knowing that we're in the family, I mean, uh, I think, I think though, if we step it back a little bit, um, I would say it's, it's maybe even better than we realized because, um, the, the actual word for adoption, which is huothesia, um, it's actually not like the Hebraic understanding of adoption was was actually different than our modern idea of adoption. Whereas like you go to an orphanage and you take a kid who is from one biological parent and then he switches households and then he's a, a child of another biological parent. And, you know, that's a beautiful idea in itself, of course. Um, and we actually have a lot of orphans, you know, our orphanages that we, we do. That's great. But but the actual Hebrew word has to do more with a bar mitzvah. So like uh, your kid, he comes to a certain age. First, he's the word is technon, like a little kid. And then he, he grows up to a certain age and then he's publicly presented as the official legal heir and child of his father. And so faith is more of this, again, this presentation, this awakening, this outward manifestation of something that God has already seen to be true. We have this sort of idea that some people were Satan's spawn, you know, and then they, they meet Jesus and they get adopted into God's family. But Satan doesn't authentically create anybody and he's authentically no one's father. I think where we get confused is, um, you know, Jesus says in John eight forty four, he said, to the Pharisees that you're children of your father, the devil, but you have to look at it in context at the beginning of that book in John chapter one, it says he came to his own, but his own did not receive him. So see, they were authentically God's kids, but they were living as under a foreign father because the, the fall of humanity and Adam means we forgot who we are and, and we're living under a lie, living under a delusion, but we are authentically associated with Christ from the foundation of the world, made in his image, you know, from him. So um, I think when we get that perspective, you know, it's uh, you, you see people differently. You don't just see them as Satan's offspring or whatever, you know, if they're not believers. Right, right. It's like, hey, don't you know you're in the family? Don't you know who you really are appealing to their true identity? Yeah. Yeah, that's beautiful. And I, I agree when it comes to I love how you how you're talking about salvation. Um, that's actually just an awakening to who we to who we are, you know, to who we really are. And yeah. um and that our role as believers is to partner with the Holy Spirit and bring people into that that reality that that great um, illusion and delusion of separation um, yes. could, could be removed that that veil could be removed um, and so yeah this is absolutely fascinating man I wanted to switch up gears a little bit so uh, so you kn- <laughs> you knew my dad um, yeah. and uh, it, you guys had you guys had kind of a relationship and of course um, my dad, like one of his, um, I don't even know what to call it. Like he, he would never call him a spiritual son, but like <laughs> kind of, so David Vaughn, right? Um, yeah. <laughs> um, you know, so my dad and David were kind of running together and, and my dad had this, uh, this kind of this drunken glory, kind of drunken prophet anointing on him. And, um, and, and so my dad was running with guys like John Scotland and they were getting kicked out of churches and like, sure. <laughs> just, yeah. you know, um, and at that same time, there was kind of like this young breed of like 20 somethings that were like walking in that same kind of just like crazy far out drunken glory. And, um, 
I don't think you guys ever got to run together, but I was just, it, it is interesting how like there was such a similar anointing on you guys. And yet there was like, there was kind of like this division between the generations. Like there was like this old school kind of drunken breed, you know? Yeah. Um, and then there was like, <laughs> and then there was like this, this younger kind of crazy drunken breed and like, and there never was, you know, <laughs> there never, you guys, I don't think ever really got to run together, which I think is like, which is too bad. I mean, I remember telling my dad, I was like, I think you would actually really like John. Like, I think, you know, um, and then I think that's where he started to like, you know, you guys ran into, I don't think he, he never like hated you or anything, you know what I'm saying? And yet, and yet like things just didn't connect there. And I was just thinking about like, like what you guys were doing back in, you know, back in the, I think it'd probably be like 97, 98 with the, with the, with the crazy like Comic-Con slosh fest, just messy kind of thing that you guys were were doing and man that was really like that was really like um a movement that i don't think the earth had ever seen before like unless you go back to maybe like the jesus people movement or something which which i think is interesting that's a whole nother topic but like what what you guys were doing was like it was like just this this crazy cutting edge some would say like rebellious kind of like these guys are doing whatever they want. And yet you guys really also had the blessing of a lot of the, of the mamas and papas, even at that time, right? Like you had just written that, that new mystics book. And like, I was just thinking through like, um, just kind of like the uniqueness of that, of that movement. And like, it really resonated. I also think within a lot of young people that just, couldn't really connect with what was happening in the church at that time. And you guys were, were doing this thing where it was like people got to have fun and they got to connect without any sort of religious, um, you know, preferences that are, that were attached to a lot of stuff, even within the renewal movement at that time. Yeah, it was such a, such a unique thing. And, um, and yeah, I'd love to chat about that. Uh, funny thing with, with your dad and I, and I would agree, like I, I always, uh, really loved and appreciate him. And I actually wish we had had an opportunity to, to run together more, like you said, and, um, yeah, probably some of it generational or whatever. But one, one thing that the funny memory I have is I was in the airport in Ukraine <laughs> and, uh, it seems like it was right when they were getting into all this armed conflict with Russia. And so we're like, like Kiev looked like a war zone and we're like walking through these smoldering streets, me and uh, my buddy, and we're going out of the airport and there I see your dad and, uh, and he was, he was just fine or whatever. Um, and, and then like we get on the plane and you say, said hello or whatever. And then we're getting off of the plane and there's this huge line of people. I mean, I'm just talking like this horrible <laughs> long line of people. And I look over and your dad had talked somebody into pushing him in a wheelchair and he <laughs> passes by this entire line of people. And I had seen him before. He was totally fine, walking around without a problem, healthy as a lark. And then he's just like, he knew how to milk that system. I thought that was amazing. That's a man that I can learn from. Right there. I, I, awesome. think, I think a lot of the guys who were, uh, you know, big in the, in the renewal in Toronto, in terms of the Toronto era, I mean, like, uh, you know, your dad and those guys there in Seattle, man, that stuff was just blowing up and going wild and crazy. And um, uh, I think it was just such a such a broad thing that a lot of people don't realize how 
massive that was. I mean, in retrospect, because, you know, the things just not even a generation later, it's it's funny how especially younger people, they just don't know how huge all that thing hit. You had Lutheran and Episcopal churches and whatever, like just mainline denominations getting jacked up and, and the, the, you know, Holy Spirit stuff just going wild. And um, and your dad was just a huge part of all that. And, uh, I, you know, I think uh, part of it, and, you know, we've done a bit with John Scotland over the years and, you know, people from from that you know, that sort of, um, era and stuff. Um, and, and I think part of it, um, and I, I, this is like maybe after some reflection over a few years is I, I think that what they were carrying was so revolutionary in itself and still is today. If you look at the bulk of Christianity, um, that probably seeing these younger guys coming along, um, I, I think, I think to some degree there was, a healthy, like apologetic for it that they were carrying. It's like, Hey, I know this is crazy, but you know, this is the Holy ghost. Whereas probably us younger guys, they saw them as more of a foundation to keep going on. And so we'd say like, Hey, this is, you know, instead of just apologizing, let's push things further. There's a, there's a place for all of it. So it's just knowing your, your role to play in it. So we, you know, whereas we were more just going and, and having these crazy, like slosh fest parties where you'd have, you know, 800 people showing up and they're, they're like dressing up in monk robes <laughs> and nun habits and Christmas lights all over their bodies. And they're just Star Wars characters and yeah, just <laughs> huge party. And I look at these in the UK every year. Like, is have, that Chewbacca lean worship? Like, yeah. And you see this guy come in with a cereal box on his head. And after a while, you just stop asking questions. And then he walks by and goes, Cheerio. And like, ah, there you go. <laughs> But it was just crazy, you know, so much fun. But uh, but yeah, you'd, you'd see people just coming in off the streets that had no idea what this was, but they just loved it and they could feel the glory on it. So, uh, yeah. And I, I mean, I'm just excited to see what the next, uh, I don't know, what next shockwave of it all is going to be. Who knows? I mean, not that it has to, you know, look like a Burning Man festival or something, <laughs> but uh, <laughs> I don't I don't think we have to repeat what, you know, whatever. But uh, but there's still, man, just such a such a people. Uh, a spirit of freedom i think people coming into all across the board i don't know i don't know man it's it's fun now were you like like um were you john the theologian then as well or were you just kind of like let her rip whatever happens How, like were, like were you ever kind of like guys 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 like what happened last night was not biblical like <laughs> <laughs> like <laughs> that whole 20 minute rant was not biblical like guys like let's have fun but like we got to keep it biblical or were you just kind of like uh whatever like <laughs> Well, I, I often say that I was a, a very popular conference speaker before I believed the gospel. <laughs> I mean, honestly, like as I was coming into the whole like big time charismatic stream, I mean, I, I loved the supernatural and I loved the miracles and the prophetic stuff and all of that. But I was definitely not preaching like full on finished work of the cross. I mean, you I wouldn't say that I wasn't, but like I didn't get this understanding that, whoa, who who are we really? We don't have to constantly battle this sinful nature and clean up our souls and do all this stuff. We just need to realize who we really are in Jesus and that, you know, we already have the fullness of God thanks to him, you know, like Colossians 2 or whatever. It's not like we have to progressively get more and more Holy Spirit like the force on Star Wars or something till we become Luke Skywalker, but it's an awakening to the fullness that we already have. So 
so I was I wasn't fully, but but I was always you know I tasted Mr. Grace before I really understood Mr. Grace, and I think a lot of people it's like we've experienced Holy Spirit, we've experienced a lot of stuff. We may not have all our doctrine figured out, and we're all still growing in our doctrine. But I, I definitely wasn't like teaching, uh, you know, th- at least in those first years of my itinerant ministry, I wasn't like fully as in the message as I am now. But it was actually in those years of like doing these drunken glory parties and crazy stuff. That's really when we were most starting to come into it. And it was just hitting me so intensely that all this Holy Ghost uh, sham wow that I wanted to be moving in. It was we had it and it wasn't our fault. And that was what was so mind blowing. Just getting that revelation in those days. And uh, man, for me, honestly, probably 2008, 2009 are blackout years for me. <laughs> <laughs> I know I was in public ministry because there's YouTube evidence of it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. You were just but, en- you were just enjoying yourself and just and just going for it and really absolutely. just enjoying all this new stuff that you were learning as far as your freedom in Christ and kind absolutely. of breaking out of the old mindset and all of that and you were running with all of these guys that were coming into that name that same understanding. Absolutely, yeah, yeah, wow. yeah, and, and I think. Um, yeah, I think I think maybe the and I think some people they see me just teaching and not just drooling on the floor and they, they think maybe I've I've turned a leaf or turned a corner or recanted of something you know but I think <laughs> it's more of just like uh, there's just this liberty like if I want to flop on the floor I've got no problem with that you know there's freedom and so because you you did see people that they thought to be spiritual they had to be weird right. you don't have to wear the cereal box and as silly as that sounds. Uh, you, you know, it, that's sort of the mindset, like for a lot of people, but it's like, it's okay to be normal, just be, be yourself. And so, um, you know, I like, I like where Paul says in second uh, Corinthians five thirteen, if I'm, if I'm out of my mind in ecstasy, blame it on God. If I'm just being normal, I'm just being sober. It's for your sake. So, so it's, it's, it's not like one or the other is, is okay. Or one is wrong or one is better. And so if you're in a meeting, somebody's flopping on the floor, he thinks the guy in the seat's judging him for flopping on the floor. And you got the guy in the chair who thinks the guy on the floor is judging him because he's not flopping on the floor. And it's just like, it's, it's, it's totally irrelevant. So there's freedom to flop, freedom to plop. It's just, uh, you know, let's just have fun and not take it all too seriously. Absolutely. Absolutely. And, um, because it seems like, like, like when you, when you were first starting off as an, as an itinerant, um, and you wrote the book, you know, the new mystics, which I imagine, dude, that book must like, that must that that book must have like a revival every three to five years where people are finding out about it and like because it's basically kind of like um, uh, God's generals but entertaining right and so <laughs> like so it seems like you were kind of like positioning yourself as like this guy that was just going to you wanted to see a revival of that ancient mystic move but you wanted to see it done in a healthy way so that guys yeah. weren't moving out into the desert you know moving into caves and. And uh, so has that changed at all in you? Like, is there still that part of you that like w- that longs to see kind of like a generation of just like crazy supernatural people on the earth or like or or do you feel kind of like that's where I was at then. And now I'm really about just seeing a healthy gospel centered worldview reestablished in the church. Does that make sense? Like, are, yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. I think, I think yes, yes and no. I, I think that, uh, my, my theology's definitely evolved since then as it should for all of us over a few years, you know, but, but I, I still, 
have this desire to, to, to see people mass awakening. Absolutely. I think um, my idea of revivals changed a little bit. I think um, um, I'm not so much looking for what we call revival as much as I'm looking for reality because revivals come and go. But what if everybody woke up to the truth of Christ in us, the hope of glory, you know? And so then it's not this, uh, you know, you just sort of uh, in and out revolving door sort of thing, you know? Um, I, uh, um, I, I definitely believe that, Part of the the thing, too, is that, you know, we've been pushing towards this revival awakening kind of thing. But what if we looked at it all from a vantage point of the finished work of the cross? So, again, instead of trying to access this elusive thing that we don't have, rather from the opposite perspective, we're unpackaging a thing that we already have and telling others that they have it because, uh, so often we're preaching sort of this potential gospel, like you can get in the club if you do the right thing, say the right prayer, versus the gospel being a declaration of what's already been made true thanks to Jesus. And, and again, it goes back to that faith thing. You know, faith isn't so much the the one surcharge to salvation as we think of like the one price tag is you have to believe. As I often say, and I'm, I'm not the guy who came up with this quote, but it's a great quote. Uh, the gospel doesn't demand faith. The gospel supplies faith. Wow. It's, it's in hearing that he loves me and has included me that I begin to wake up to. It. And as we wake up to it, that's where we see the full manifestation of all this stuff that we're, we're really wanting to see. So I, I, I like to say that there's this sort of new I, I, and this is honestly why I like that term new mystics is like we're not appealing to the old school mysticism of. After 50 years of prayer and fasting, one day you'll be in union with God. But but it's a it's a, a grace based. We've got 500 years of grace theology under our belts, realizing we're already in. So let's live like it. Let's give it away. Let's you know be normal, be supernatural, all of it together. But it's it's already here, sort of thing. Awesome, awesome, awesome. Yeah. Hey, um, you froze on my screen, and your eyes are like really, really big. And, uh, and it's hard for me to, to concentrate. <laughs> so, you know, I saw that I froze and I didn't know if I should keep going there. So you were nodding. So I assumed you were hearing me. <laughs> yeah, I was hearing you. But I was like, Darren, focus, Darren, focus. Like, My ah. face is very scary right there. Uh, across between Charles Manson and David Koresh, I think. <laughs> Just like, ah! Yeah, absolutely. So as, as people get awakened to, uh, into this reality that there is not separation, we're in union with Christ. Yeah. Um, and uh, that, in theory, should open up a new level of reality where our lives are looking more like Jesus. Right? Absolutely, yeah, absolutely. And absolutely. would you say that you're that that you're seeing that kind of fruit within your within your tribe, like these people that you're doing life with, where like they're they're awakening in one hand, some would say, into a new theology of mm-hmm. grace and union. Uh, but would you also say that you're seeing? like like the kind of like signs wonders miracles that that are accompanying that new belief yeah that new yeah, worldview I, I would say yes and no i mean you know uh, what what is i guess when you look at what a stream is you know i mean today with um especially with social media we we get influenced by so many different things and so you have a lot of people looking at so many different things at the same time. But to be honest with you, I mean, some people, you know, they start to hear this message and they realize that, whoa, I've sort of bought off on all this religious do-it-yourself hype over the years. 
And honestly, sometimes people, they just react when they realize, well, that wasn't true. You know, Jesus finished the job. It's not up to me to like work myself up to God. Uh, sometimes they do react, you know, out of whatever bitterness or they just want to give up altogether. But I think it'd be wrong to blame that on the grace message. And I think sometimes you see people do that. They blame the message and they did it in Paul's day as well. You know, um, and Paul's like, hey, should we continue to sin? So the grace abounds. Of course not. That Paul wasn't preaching freedom to sin. But I do think you, you're, you're going to have any time the gospel's preached, you're going to have people that hear it the wrong way. And it's always been the case. And uh, and they react and their lives don't necessarily look better after hearing it. But what I would add to that is that so much of how they were performing before they heard it was often a religious veneer. It wasn't like they were sincere on the inside. It was just fear based and all this. Uh, and so they hear the message. And, and of course, you're going to have people that spin off the rails. But ideally, as we get who we are. And that's the majority of it. The good fruit that you see, your lives are transformed and people realize I don't have to struggle with sin my entire life. I'm free from it. I really do look like my elder brother. And and so that is, you know, becomes more effortless. And we expect the supernatural, but we're not straining and popping a hernia to try to make it happen all the time, you know. So. <laughs> because I think that was like part of that was some of the stuff that I was hearing before I actually read uh, Mystic Union. I was hearing these sound bites out there that John is telling people that they can't sin anymore. John's telling people that they don't have to repent. John is telling people um, that uh, uh, that they don't have to pray anymore. Um, yeah. l- like these kinds of statements. And right. um, and then when I actually read the book, like that particular book addressed those things very, you know, specifically. And so when it comes yeah. to hyper grace, I think sometimes you get kind of put as the poster boy of, of hyper grace or as right. kind of like the the um, the ref- the reformer that brought about the theology that that gave young people an excuse to sin. I think that's how a lot of people look at John Crowder. Oh, that is he needs to, <laughs> you know, he needs to be uh burned at the stake or something like it's because of him that my kid whatever you know (laughs) and um and i i guess when when i hear these sound bites that are going out there like is like are there other kind of hyper grace reformers that are more hyper than you that are going to those degrees and saying stuff like that or are people just reading a book like this and coming up with their own interpretation yeah, well, you, you know what it's like in the charismatic world, especially is is again these sound sound bites of of, of uh, not even something I would say, but you know what what somebody else would say about me. They, man, they're just crazy circulation. When you know uh, to to say that I would claim that a Christian can't sin, my my God, have you been to a church lately? Are you kidding me? <laughs> In sin. <laughs> what we're saying is if you know who you are, sin should be the last thing on the agenda for the day. You know, we don't have to constantly fight it and, and try to make ourselves holy. But holiness is our default setting in Jesus. We're made in his image. You know, fallen Adam is a perversion of our default setting that that's, it should be more difficult to sin than to be holy. But um yeah, the repentance thing, the prayer thing, all these. Now, I've got a different take on on some issues, but uh, but that sometimes gets caught up in people's minds as he's negating the importance of such and such. But there, I mean, you definitely have. See, I, th- I think you're totally right in that there are not that you were saying this. You're asking the question about other people being out there. I, th- I think the problem is 
what we call the, it's a big term, but the grace movement. I, I really hate that terminology because it, it's like this huge casserole dish that has all these different parts in it. And you have some people that, you know, they're a grace person just because they voted for Bernie Sanders and they want gun control and they're, they're sort of more liberal in their political beliefs. And then you have some guys that they're in the grace movement because they're like teaching some new age, quoting uh, Ram Dass all the time or something like that online. And so they're a grace guy just because they're, they don't look evangelical anymore. Right. And, uh, or you got, you know, the grace guy who's the guy who just wants to do whatever he wants to do. And he smokes pot every day and sleeps with his girlfriend. And so he's, he's under grace, you know. And so you got to, to call this this so-called grace movement. It's just this big sort of. Uh, stuff of men that, that I, uh, you just can't agree with, you, you know, so it's weird. Um, so it's just a term, I think that gets like, it's this blanket term, but as I say, man, grace is not a doctrine. Grace is a person yeah. and, and it's Jesus, Jesus Christ. And man, if, if Jesus isn't the focus, then, then you've, you've lost the plot. And that's why today I don't even say I'm not a grace. It's not, I don't, I'm not a grace. I'm in a Jesus Christ. No, Jesus is grace. But you know, if if that's how you want to define grace is some of these weird, um, offshoots, but no, it's, it's about Jesus. Um, but Jesus is all about joy and he's not about religion and he's all about, you know, freedom and liberty, you know, from, from sin and, and from religious legalism as well. So, yeah, so it's, uh, yeah, I don't, I don't know. Um, did you so many directions we could go with that? I guess. Did you read Hypergrace by uh, uh, by Michael Brown? You know, I just skimmed through it. I, I was uh, <laughs> curious, and I uh, I did a name search just out of curiosity, maybe out of ego a little bit, just to see how many times I was mentioned in it. And the only person who he mentioned more than me was um, was Joseph Prince. Oh, really? <laughs> and only by like two mentions. <laughs> <laughs> Joseph Prince is awesome. <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah he's, that's great. <laughs> so, so that was that was pretty. That was fairly personal. Like, like he really came came after you in that. Yeah, and it was it was a little bit of a disappointment because um, not not so much that he would disagree with me, but um, some of it was. Um, and, and here's the thing: I don't I don't want to like you know, fight fire with fire and be negative. But, uh, he, he would make these statements like he'd tell people that he had tried to reach out to me and father me and all this. And it was just total baloney. So that's where I really lost respect was not that he would disagree with me, but it, it was just, it was just straight up, not, not telling the truth. You know, they, he had, he had tried to reach out and do all these things. And the only time he had ever contacted us was two times as he, uh, tried to get me to debate toking the ghost on his radio program. <laughs> and I never even cared about that. That was just a thing that, you know, our detractors made a bigger issue than us. We were just, just a silly little fun analogy that, um, but, and then the other thing was he, he wanted to quote like all these portions of our book to, to attack me with in, in there. So, uh, so there was never any like, you, you know, real it was just a lot of it to me was sure. just a big, a big hype thing hyper grace but it was hype the book really and, and yeah yeah so you know but there's a there's a lot of that where people will they, there are a lot of people in the church that actually do like to sort of start fights just because it sells books i mean i i never realized this years before so surely that's not what people do but uh, unfortunately, <laughs> if, you, if you get a good fight going, it, it collects views, you know. Come good, on. Whatever, so. <laughs> hey, I wanted to chat with you about um, the Jesus People movement. I kind of mentioned that like a, like a second ago. And yeah. um, because you used to have, and you might still have, a bunch of like uh, historical kind of like uh, uh, articles and, and, and such online, letting people know kind of what happened during that time. 
it's so that what you were doing wasn't necessarily all that far off. Like what you were doing was kind of just playing out what it, what has been done before. And there, and the reason why I bring this up is there's always every year, uh, this string of like prophetic words about the Jesus people movement, like being <laughs> like, like, like being like, um, awakened again. And I, and I always think that that's pretty funny because I think that it, I think that we like most likely if there was an actual Jesus people movement, we, like, for the most part, the majority of mainstream Christianity would reject it, including most of us in, in the prophetic-y kind of revival kind of kind of camp. Because, dude, that I don't even know what you what you know regarding it, but the little bit that I know about the Jesus people movement, that was a messy move of God, right? Like that thing was like, and so I wanted to kind of just chat with you on your thoughts about like the Jesus people movement and 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 what God kind of did there and um and then what you know what you think regarding that whole that whole, if that were to play out again how, yeah. you, how you think that would go for us <laughs> it would man it is true you know back in the day all the churches rejected it i mean you you'd have churches in california for instance that would have hundreds of members and the pastor was only 1 year old in the lord wow. because the other churches wouldn't take him in they i mean they would literally have churches that wouldn't let the hippies come in because they were all barefoot back and they wanted them to mess up the carpet and stuff like that <laughs> and we kind of think well we're as charismatic people we would be open to anything but my goodness that's that's crazy some people they think because i speak in tongues i'm not religious or whatever <laughs> But, you know, the, the Pharisees and the Sadducees in Jesus' day, I mean, the Pharisees were charismatics. The Sadducees were not. The Pharisees believed in angels, exorcisms, all that stuff. And they're the ones that killed him, you know. So just because we believe in spiritual gifts doesn't make us not religious. And so, uh, yeah, but I, I tell you, it, it is crazy back in the day. Uh, and, 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 you know, the thing, you know, I never really talk about this. It's, it's, again, I really did, never was trying to make a, a big deal of it. It was something we did for fun. But. But using the analogy of like getting high in the Holy Spirit, man, they use that analogy all the time in the Jesus people movement. I have translations, Bible translations that say don't get high on marijuana or whatever. Ephesians <laughs> 5, 18, don't get drunk with wine, but be filled with the Holy Spirit. They use like don't get high on drugs or whatever, but be high in the Holy Ghost or whatever. They had like their own hippie translations of the Bible. Like, Yeah, it's, uh, there's one is called A Letter to Street Christians, I think is the name wow. of it. Yeah. Uh, Billy Graham used to use this terminology. I kid you not. Back in the like where we used the term toke, like, you know, inhale something uh, back in those days that the terminology was get turned on. Now, today, the <laughs> get turned on is like a sexual thing. Right. But, but that's what we just think of sex. But back then, turned on meant to get high. And so Billy Graham would be in his crusades like like uh, you want to really get turned on, get turned on to Jesus. He's talking about clear about drugs. Anybody in those days would have known it. Uh, Arthur Blessett, who's the guy, you remember the guy who carried the cross? Yeah, yeah, yeah. America back and forth for years. Well, if you get his early stuff, man, he would talk about, you don't need to pop Quaaludes. You just need to pop Jesus. You just need to pop Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. <laughs> I mean, back in those days, that was just the guys who were really moving and stuff would use the language of the people. And man, we saw so many people get get liberated off of drugs. I mean, people would get high on stuff and then they'd come in these meetings and they'd see other people like jacked up higher on the Holy Ghost than they were on the drugs. And uh, I see I did stories of people like reading my uh, 
Ecstasy of Loving God book. It's a book I wrote about this kind of stuff. And he's uh, uh, like, I've heard this story so many times where somebody would be like 30 pages into it and didn't remember a thing they read, but the room was spinning around on them. (laughs) (laughs) And it's not like a thing, like I don't like to think in terms of, now I know there's anointings and that kind of stuff, but it's not like a thing like I carry. It's just more of this realization of this ethereal reality that we have in Christ. Heaven is here, you know, thanks to him. And, um, and, and it is transcendent. And there's a reason the Bible refers to God himself as wine. There's this intoxication theme because it's, it's, it's just outside of our linear minds. And, and man, it's an awakening of our heart where we're just we get enthralled. And so um, so I never really apologized for that terminology, but I also didn't want to, like, die for just an analogy. And so it's like. Uh, I don't, I'm not like the people think in every one of my meetings, I'm just putting my two fingers together and acting like I'm smoking Holy Spirit all the time. <laughs> and uh, I mean, I never recanted. I, don't, I didn't say anything like wrong in that. But at the same time, it's like, uh, you, you know, I wasn't trying to push some formula either now. Sure, like, sure. Just pretend like we're intoxicated. No, we're just telling people you're in God. He's in you. It's all thanks to Jesus. But it, but it's fun. <laughs> Yeah, and I think what's interesting about the, that that movement, the Jesus People movement, is that like a whole generation that that wanted nothing to do with Jesus, right? Like, yeah. like that that their hearts got unlocked um, to Absolutely. the gospel, and uh, like a generation was reached. And we kind of find ourselves in that same kind of um, uh, era right now as a culture, where, where when you look at the stats, local churches just aren't reaching, aren't they're not reaching. Um, the millennials and forget the millennials, the Xers never got reached, right? So we actually have like two generations right now, Xers and millennials, and then the whatever you want to call them, these little guys, the e- Echo or whatever. So we're, we're looking at three possible generations that have not been reached um, by by the by the church, you yeah. know, and and so we're we're definitely at a point where where we've got it, we've we we've got to see some sort of sovereign kind of intervention would you agree with that or like what what, what, where where do you think we're at as a culture and you know and what do you do you have any predictions or shepherd's rods or you know yeah yeah i I, I think if you look back in those days one of the things is is they were being reached on their own turf you know it wasn't like come over here and be reached on our ground but they were being reached on their on their turf and that that's part of it but uh but i also think we're, we're probably coming to the end of our rope in terms of our human ability to make this stuff happen. You know, it's just like the, you know, the last several decades there's been in the whole evangelical movement, there is such a focus on human evangelism, which don't get me wrong, the importance of evangelism. I mean, we've seen over 200,000 people respond to the gospel just in India alone, like in our outreach wow. stuff. I believe in evangelism, but at the same time, I think when you look at every great awakening, you look at Wesley and Whitfield and these guys who had tens of thousands of people just flocking into every single meeting they did. They're preaching like 30 plus times a week to crowds of over 10,000 people with no microphone. Like like it is just jump on the horse, ride it as fast as you can to the next town. And there's another 20,000 people gathered for that night. Like like you can't make make that happen. It's not like knocking on doors and passing out jack chick tracks and twisting people's arm like a like a vacuum cleaner salesman. You know, it's like <laughs> Jesus is a Tupperware party. We, I think we were actually kind of like cheapen the gospel by by sort of making it this thing like this sales pitch. 
I mean, we we're like Willy Wonka, man. We got the golden ticket. We should make it more difficult for people. You know, they're like, what, what wow. is this? What is this great hope you have? Well, why do you want to know? I think we've sort of cheapened it a little bit. I think when you look at those big movements, it wasn't a human-inspired effort. And people prayed or whatever, but it wasn't this drummed-up thing. I think it was this this harvest glory. I think it was just the presence of God arresting people's hearts. And when Mariah Woodworth Edder is 50 miles out of town, people are going into trances. They're not even believers. They don't even know what it is. And then they come knocking on the door. The Jesus people movement, the issue is the, the people are flocking in. They're the ones asking. You're not trying to sell something. They're pulling it out of you. And and, and it's like the Holy Spirit is, is drawing people. And I, I think part of the thing, man, is what what is Holy Spirit drawing us to? And if we don't get the message right— I mean, it's almost maybe the grace of God, not that you want to blame the Lord for people not being Christians, but but it's almost the grace of God wow. that we're not heaping these masses into a messed up humanistic message at the same time, where the, we just, they get on this rat, this hamster wheel of religion. And God meets people where they are. But what if we brought them into the real message of a Christ crucified? He did it. He finished the job. It is done. Let's enjoy um, my goodness, it's it, I, I think um, I think we're on the we are on the verge of something that is going to be so beyond us that we're going to know not one man or ministry can market this stuff. It is not based on what we've done. So I think uh, right now, if, if we're just getting the message for ourselves, I think that's the problem. We think we have it all figured out and it's way simpler than we've even made it out to be. So, yeah, I, I'm excited, though, man. I, I really I really do still have that burning heart and vision to see it happen. I, I just think it's going to be better and I think it's going to be easier and we're not just going to be killing ourselves trying to create something and fabricate something. And I think people are tired of that. People are looking for authenticity anyways. Yeah, it's so good, man. And I'd also like to just chat with you about like rest as an ethic. Um, so you're going into kind of a, a sabbatical and you've kind of established that into the rhythm of your, of your ministry. And oftentimes um, uh, rest is like uh, it's something that we talk about a lot about in the, in the church. You need to not strive. You need to be at rest. And we hear a lot of these kind of sound bites, you know, but for you, I mean, like, like you're, you're staying drunk, you're having fun in the glory. You're, you're highly uh, successful. Um, and yet you're, you're forcing yourself <laughs> to, you're holding yourself accountable, um, yeah. uh, to rest. Why? Like, what? What? What did it take in your own life where where you were like, I I'm gonna I'm gonna put this into my into my uh, life routine. So every however many years, I'm actually gonna force myself to just stop and recalibrate. Yeah, I, I think. Um you know, a lot of it is just, just as I would experience Holy Spirit, especially in the early days, it was, it was almost always this sort of debilitating, like, like, um, I don't know, just trance, like, um, the, the less I was doing, the more fruitfulness. Now I, I would work way harder. I'm not saying I didn't work. I mean, working well over 40 hours a week and that kind of thing. But, but at times I would find that as I, the more I would strive at something, the, the harder it would get and, and sort of self-reliance. So, you, you do see, man, ingrained all throughout scriptures, don't you just rest, rest. I mean, it talks more about rest than faith because the flavor of faith is rest. It's done. Chill out. Relax. It's all you know, taken care of. That's faith. So um, 
the, the more the self-effort got out of the way, not just in my theology. I mean, that's where it begins. Is uh, and, and theology, we think of that as just a head thing in the charismatic church. It's 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 a it's a heart belief. You know, wow. Scripture doesn't doesn't separate head and heart. It's the same word in the Greek. We we do that as charismatics because we don't want to think a lot of times. <laughs> but but as we learn to like re- realize correctly, if that's a better word, that's when as we believe correctly, as we trust in the right message. Um, man, it should produce rest and and um, and trust, and that's what rest is all about: is trust. So, on a practical level, um, yeah, man, I I decided to take the sabbatical year off after my first seven years in ministry. And how do you do that as an itinerant guy? Like, if you're not traveling and right. people don't know you're out there, not only are there no offerings or whatever, like on a, on a practical level, but people forget you're even in ministry. It's not like, you know, the, if, if they're not constantly seeing you. And so it was a step of faith, but I just knew, man, like, I just need to do this as like a, like a, um, you know, not, not legalistically, like, like I'm trying to observe every Judaic legalism in the old covenant, but I saw, man, if, if they could chill out for a year and have a paid vacation back in those days and God supernaturally increase their income on year six so they could float for year seven. Well, why, why not now? So, so I took a year off and man, it's the first year we were in ministry where our income uh, went down. It only went down 10%. Wow. Wow. Imagine taking a year off and it only cost you 10% of your, and it was crazy. And I just knew it was the Lord. And it it wasn't like a legalistic thing where I did nothing. I do an occasional meeting, but I just wasn't like going nonstop. So, um, so yeah, this year rolled around and it, and it is like a thing where you're, you're going and things are fruitful. And so there's that temptation to just, man, just keep going. There's no, and and it's not like I'm burnt out. It's not like I'm, but why not do, um, maintenance instead of, uh, (laughs) instead of, uh, fixing up the machine once it breaks. And so I think with rest, a lot of times if, if we were just a little more proactive with rest and not wait till we burn out, then man, it, it, the, everything would function so much better and we would enjoy what we're doing and, and live, living out of a place of rest in the doing. It's not like we just have to stop all the time, but still there are times to stop for sure. I think it's, it's good. Yeah, that's so good, man. And, I, and I'm just curious, how does John Crowder rest? Because I, I'm always curious how people rest. And a lot of people think that rest means you know, you do nothing, but you catch up on Netflix, binge watch, you know, a bunch of shit, you know, kind of, so like, how, how, how are you going to like, a, is there like a bucket list of stuff that you're going to be kind of going after this year? Yeah. Or, or are you just going to kind of take it day by day? Or what, what will rest actually look like for you kind of as you come into this new season? Well, first of all, I'd like to put a, a plug out that I was not coerced to say any of this uh, by Darren, but a, a plug to all of his congregants there in Washington that, that you should float him for an entire year sabbatical. <laughs> what you sow into, you shall also reap in your own lives. And so if you'd like a little more rest and a little more fruitfulness <laughs> in your life that you didn't have to work for, I think you should uh, you should pay him a year to watch Netflix. But, <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, John. <laughs> but, hey, some of it, though, is literally just Netflix. I mean, honestly, uh, I, I mean, cause you have these aspirations of stuff you want to do, but man, I'm even when I'm going normally, I'm always writing, I'm writing magazines and all this. And, um, uh, one big thing for my year is just not uh, doing my weekly videos that, that really, I, we had talked about this a little bit, uh, you and I, but uh, it takes a lot of time every week. Cause I'm, I'm not a pastor per se, but, um, but in a sense, I'm 
sort of, uh, you know, there is some pastoral work in terms of helping people along in, in the message that we're bringing. And so we do those a lot. But but taking a year off from that, uh, I am doing a few things. Uh, I'm still traveling a little bit, but just not as much as usual. And um, and I am I do have a few little retreats plugged in, like I'm going to go to uh a monastic retreat in um, in Kentucky, and I always uh, dreamed of being a monk before I got married and found a higher calling in life than celibacy. <laughs> but I'll take three days, three days of a uh, of, of celibacy in, in a. <laughs> so what, what? Yeah. So what does that look like? You're, you're gonna you're gonna take off into the mountains and wear a, a robe and like what? What, yeah. what is it gonna well, look like? Yeah, I wouldn't really wear a robe because it's, it's it's a real monastery, so I wouldn't okay. want to like pretend like I'm a monk in sure. front of them. Um, <laughs> but no, it's it's a uh, the monastery that Thomas Merton uh, uh, was at uh, in Kentucky. I'm gonna get, I've always wanted to do like a retreat there. It's just like a silent retreat, three wow. days. A lot of it for me is just silence, you know. And um, I, I think that's so so good because especially as a as a preacher, you're constantly not just putting stuff out there, but constantly influx of concepts in your reading and your listening because you know that you know as you filter it take what's good and and you're constantly re reappropriating that stuff for you know for people so i think it's good sometimes just to cut that off just relax and and so just be quiet and um stillness is so important so i'm, I'm still doing that that's just like a one thing i'm doing this year and i'm, I'm going to try cool. to do it Try to do it in Greece as well. I've always wanted to go to Mount Athos, and I'm not sure if you're familiar with that. It's where the like the Greek Orthodox monks. It's like their holy island, and they don't allow a single woman to step foot on it. So I'm not going to get into the political correctness of that, but uh, but it's just like this uh, sort of their mecca of like monasticism. I mean, they've got these ancient medieval things, and you have to get like a it's really tight, strict even permission to get on the island. So I'm, I'm trying to do that as well this summer. Do a little retreat there for a few days and uh, hang out with our, our Orthodox brothers for a little bit. Yeah. Sounds, sounds like a good time, man. That yeah, yeah. You should take a, a film crew with you. Yes. Do, do a little documentary. Yeah. <laughs> um, that, no, that, that's awesome. And, um, so then, uh, money, sex, beer, God. Yes. Yeah. How did that book sell? Oh man. You know, I, like, what I, was the response to that? Yeah. So the response on that one, man, I, I don't really I don't I honestly don't look at the numbers too much. Uh, we, we started self-publishing our books after a while. Um, man, it's not easy to get a title like The Ecstasy of Loving God, Trances, Raptures and the Supernatural <laughs> Pleasures of Jesus Christ. Not difficult to get. I mean, it's, it is difficult to get that title across a Christian book publisher's desk. So uh so we figure, hey man, we you know we don't need to have all the endorsements and pats on the back. I mean that stuff is good to help people feel safer that their favorite preachers endorsing you. But man, the the big thing is I really just want to get the message out there that you know unfiltered. And so so our last several books and and then just not having to go through the publishers. I mean today with the Amazon online market, man, so you actually do better just just doing stuff yourself. So. Um, yeah. So I, but, but along with that, I'm not a big admin guy, so I'm, I don't know how it's, how it's selling, but I figured why not put all four of my favorite topics into one volume. So uh, money, sex, beer, God. <laughs> yeah. It, uh, yeah. It, it's a fascinating book. <laughs> did, did you read it? Yeah. 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 I, I at least read one chapter in it. Um, and it was, it was which great. One, which one did you read? No, uh, no. <laughs> The one on beer, John. Oh, on beer. <laughs> no, okay. I, I'm okay. lying, actually. <laughs> I, I know you are. Actually, Andrea took the uh, 
the book and, and she read the whole thing right off the bat and uh and really really enjoyed it and also well, that's just not bad for your for your wife to read a book like that that's always a plus yeah and i i just think that those topics oftentimes um we tend to approach all these topics with a certain amount of um, mathematics and we try to think for people, right? Yes. Especially when we try to uh, convince people of what holy, holiness looks like. So if you're going to live a holy life, it's going to look like this. So I'll just think for you. And yeah. so just don't talk about sex. Don't drink beer or wine or, or whiskey. Just, just stay away from it. I'll think for you. Don't do any of this. Don't do this. Don't do that. And I just think that the fruit of that, the 80s shows us that the fruit of that is not good. And it leads to a life of secrecy and no transparency. And so I just, I just applaud you for, um, for going yeah. after it and, uh, and helping people think for themselves, but also learning to process biblically that these topics are, uh, are, are, are addressed in, in, in the Bible. And, yeah. um, and I think that's the big thing, man, is just co- like coming out of secrecy and stepping out of shame and talking about this stuff so that we can come up with our own boundary lines so that we yeah. can be healthy, you know? Yeah, yeah. And it's not that, you know, to bring it up, you just want to be controversial or, or um, stumble people or whatever. But I think so often in the sort of in the guise of, you know, not wanting to stumble anybody, like you said, we just avoid the topics altogether. And then we wonder why there are problems. And, um, you know, there have a lot of people, they don't drink at all because they don't want to stumble another Christian. And some Christians could probably use to stumble into a good stiff drink. You know, it's, like, <laughs> it's seeing these these health like healthy parameters for natural world pleasures. Like we have this idea that Satan created gold and booze and boobies or something. But, but the, the good Lord gave us these things. He just wants them filtered through the word so that we actually receive them in a healthy way, enjoy them in a healthy way, don't kill ourselves with them. It's not that God's anti-pleasure. He's very pro-pleasure. We just, uh, you know, we think of him as the school marm in the sky that wants to smack our hand if we're having any fun at all. And it's just such a, a really a Gnostic, really demonic way of thinking about the Lord. And, and it's not incarnational. So it's actually as funny as it is probably the most pastoral book I've ever written. <laughs> yeah, well, just in talking with you today, I mean, it seems like there's definitely, I don't want to pigeonhole you or something, and, and, and I'm sure ma- the majority of people would not, I shouldn't say the majority, but a lot of people that don't necessarily know you probably would say, he ain't a pastor, he doesn't, you know, as far as your critics go. But yeah. it looks like there's this huge uh, fathering kind of call or mantle on you, and you can certainly see that with how you lead your tribe on YouTube and, and how you're teaching, but you 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 really are providing a voice to to a to a generation. I can certainly see a, a pastoral thing um, on you for sure. I guess that actually. So when it comes to your own family um, and and you're pastoring your family, um, did like going to church on like a Sunday morning was that kind of a, re- a regular thing for your family and taking your kids to church? Or um, or did you try to kind of take your family on a different sort of path as far as that goes? Oh, yeah, that's a good question. Um, yeah, I mean, we definitely did that um, when that was a possibility. Uh, it was a little different being an itinerant ministry. And, and that's where one area of my life I would caution people, don't just try to follow me in this example because it's just different. When I'm on the road all the time doing meetings and then to come home and do another meeting, it's just a little a little bit of a different thing. So um, there was a season where we we started a church in California for a few years that uh, we were able to do that. 
Um, but sometimes where, depending on where we lived, uh, there just was not a local church as much as you would think, well, John, there's 15 trillion churches out there, but not necessarily everybody wants John Crowder sitting in the front row (laughs) because your reputation sort of precedes you. And that can be a difficult thing just for people in ministry, in itinerant ministry. So it's, uh, but if you're not in itinerant ministry, I would just recommend people, obviously, like it's so healthy to be plugged into good community and not that you have to agree with every, everything. Uh, I mean, you wouldn't have a brain if you just bought off everything somebody says, but you, you, you find areas you can agree on. And what's so important is that the fellowship and just the, the community is just so important. So fortunately, we have had that uh, just about everywhere we've lived. We've had community, even if it was more organic and stuff. And I am I, it's funny because people, they just would assume that I'm somehow an anti-local church guy. I'm very pro local church. And, and I also think that there's a lot of flexibility in how we can do church, you know, um, that you, whether it's home group, whether it's mega church, I'm not an anti mega church guy, I'm not an anti home church guy. I think that, uh, that there's, you know, there's, there's fluidity in it in that sense, but, uh, but community is really important. And if you are blessed enough to have a church like you guys, where there's joy and there's real love and, and, and just a valuing of, of friendship and community and Holy ghost stuff. I mean, that's a plus. And then, uh, you know, especially the, the message, my goodness, like that is just gold. And so, um, man, it's, it's, it's just such a, a disheartening thing to see people, you know, getting in arguments over the color of the carpet or the level of the sound system and just stuff that's not important. And and I think sometimes when people who have been kicked out for things that they shouldn't have, I mean, because some people have been kicked out for something they should have been kicked out, you know, for, <laughs> you know, it's hanging out with the church secretary too long or after hours. But, but sometimes people do get booted for things that they shouldn't have or whatever, and they get hurt and all that and get bitter and, um, so but I think if if you have been through and there are a lot of people who've been through maybe the ringer with that stuff, uh, if anything, it should make you value a church that you don't get hung up on the little things and you just try to find where you can get along with people. That's such a such a good, important, important thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I guess it kind of ties in um, with uh, with you being able you have your own platform where you've been able to self-publish and even uh, for the most part, it would seem as though like a lot of the conferences you do and stuff, you're hosting them yourself, right? Like, so yeah, it, it's so that it's pretty amazing because most itinerants they're constantly having to look for these connections in different cities, and you're just kind of going in and hosting your own stuff, and and it, and, it, and it works for you. You've really established this incredible platform. Um, do you feel like at a certain point? Um, that kind of that place of of because you don't really need you don't really need churches you know what i'm saying and you don't really need big names and but at a certain point do you see yourself kind of assimilating back into kind of this uh uh more mainstreamy kind of prophetic thing or are you like perfectly content with with being outside of all of that yeah, I, I really feel like the Lord showed me that it, it, you know, it would it would happen. It would it would come, you know, uh, probably a little more naturally, a little more organically over time. Um, I, I think at first um, it was an interesting thing when my first book came out. It came out at a time when everybody was talking about the supernatural and it had all this supernatural church history. And so overnight I was at this level of platform that, to be honest, like I wasn't 
brown nosing religious leaders to get to that level for 30 years, like a lot of people do. And it was almost like the, the Lord just dropped me behind enemy lines in a sense and use me as a colonic cleanse to the charismatic church. I mean, people didn't know what to do with me and AR wasn't as massive like stage. And, um, and so because of that, I really didn't, um, I wasn't taking myself too seriously because I hadn't done all this work to get there. So, uh, and a lot of people found that really refreshing. A lot of people didn't know what to do. They, they felt that, oh, that's unsafe, that he's not taking things too seriously here. But uh, I take the Lord seriously, but not in a, 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 you know, a fearful, vengeful sense, you know, right. I, think he's in a good mood, but, um, but no, it wasn't so much that I was being flippant. It was a calculated flippancy, you know, it's just knowing that is, is things are going to be all right. But, you know, part of us moving, transitioning into doing our own events, um, you know, some of that was by necessity, to be honest, because I would have all these huge conference invites just canceled on me. People would get scared they'd hear the rumors, you know, he's doing drugs or he's telling people to eat raw meat. I mean, you'd be, you'd be amazed some of the some of the rumors that were flying out there. Some people uh, uh, were saying that I walked around in a monk robe, but I was naked underneath so that when ladies were lying on the floor drunk in the Holy Ghost in a meeting that I would step over their heads. I mean, the weirdest. Wait, hold on. That's not true. <laughs> The weirdest stuff. <laughs> I tell you, man, it's crazy stuff. I do eat raw meat. I like a little sushi every now and then. Dude, but, I'll, uh, I'll, I'll be honest. I believe that one, though. Yeah. The, the bug one. <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. They were doing it, it was David Vaughn, though, you, not you. you. You've probably heard some that I haven't heard. I, I'd be glad to clarify any of them if you heard <laughs> weird ones. There's some I forgot. I used to have a list of the weird rumors. It's so absolutely crazy. I like crazy. The, the eat raw meat one. That That's good. Did you have you ever heard that one about me before? No, 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 no. Uh, oh, here we go. Look at this. I did keep a note of uh, <laughs> funny rumors. Somebody said that I had a, a cast of J.R.R. Tolkien's hand made so that I could toke it like the <laughs> ghost took it. Um, there was a, a rumor that when we had the little we used to have a little baby Jesus toy. We, you know, we're just mocking. Yeah. We were, you know, smoking it or whatever. And um, I mean, not mocking our Lord, but, you know, just, you know, just having fun. Well, uh, some people thought that that was a real crack pipe and that I was smoking <laughs> crack through baby Jesus. Uh, there was this one big one that that a council of apostolic leaders had rebuked me that there was this like this whole guys group of guys got together, put this rebuke out and that I rejected it. But that never happened. There were individuals that had a hard time with me, but there were other individuals that uh, thought I was uh, thought it was fun and um, were glad that I was giving them a bit of a ruffling some feathers. Uh, yeah, I don't know, so many, so many funny things. But but yes, yeah, so doing the, doing my meetings myself, a lot of that was actually uh, it was just sort of a I needed to um, have a platform, and I, I just didn't feel like I had to wait necessarily to be fully accepted. I figured over a period of time. Some guys would, as as they got more acclimated to what I was saying, or just my style, or whatever. Because um, believe it or not, I'm not trying to offend people all the time. I'm just having fun, and and, and I think naturally offense will happen. But I'm I'm not like out to get people. But uh, but I do like to prod the tiger sometimes. If if, the, if there's a, a a point in terms of like you know having a redemptive value to to get it, so we're not so self serious and just enjoying Jesus, you know. But um. Yeah, but I still believe it or not, I still speak at a lot of local churches and I prefer to do things with a local church. 
But if I feel like the Lord wants me to do something in a certain area, I'll just do it. And we've sort of learned to gear our stuff over time. So I'm not like, I don't have to be that annoying itinerant guy who comes knocking at the door and I need this much money to bring me in and all that. So we just kind of host, usually like co-host our events. So people just sign up online and the the local church doesn't have to pay a dime. And then everything's just floated and and it's just a real easy thing. So, So over the years, we've kind of found an easy system for that. But uh, but we also I enjoy big conference events with lots of people. It's a lot of fun. But uh, I've always felt like after after a period of time, uh, you know, unfortunately for some, I'll probably be on the big stage again. <laughs> but, so you uh, think some of your own tri- some of your own tribe might accuse you of like selling out or something if you absolutely well they already have over the years you know you, you get enough gray in your beard though you can get away with saying anything that's that's the problem not that the message has changed i just i'm older <laughs> <laughs> and do you think there will ever be a um a uh, another slosh, slosh fest re reunion or or uh move or do you think are you just glad that's kind of in in the in the, no, in the past no. and we've we've moved on we've we've grown up all things are possible for them who believe, Darren. So, yeah, I, I'm, I think, I'm always looking for a for an excuse to dress up as, a, you know, as a Star Wars character and show up. You know, I'm, oh, I'm always looking for an excuse to show up as one at one of your meetings without being recognized. You know, and I yeah, think that, Jar Jar Binks, maybe. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I think the best wine's safe for last, and uh, and you know, it's just no no in season. It's not like there's seasons to be dry and depressed, but uh, there's seasons where people are up for the party, and uh, yeah. So I, I would not I would not put anything past our good Lord. We'll see, we'll see what happens here. <laughs> and uh, do you do you see yourself ever planting a church again, or or is that the kind of thing where you kind of learned your lesson and? Yeah, I, it's not my main calling. Let me put it that way. I, I, for me, it's not about what I'm doing or how I'm doing it as much as for me, it really is about the message that I know that, that we have that people, I, I, so it's just whatever app platform it takes to get it out there. Um, so sometimes that, you know, itinerant is more conducive to that, but, uh, and I definitely don't feel a call to do a local church at this point in my life. Maybe, maybe when I'm a bit older, who knows that that might happen again. Uh, I'm, I'm open to it, but I think if I were to do it, I would have to do just that. And so when we did our church in Santa Cruz, it was kind of tough because I was on the road all the time and trying to do a local church. And that was just, just too much. So for me to really focus and do it right, it would just be doing just the local church, I think. So who knows? We'll see yeah. what happens. You'd have to position yourself as the overarching higher level apostle, you know, so that you don't have to be doing all the hospital visits and all that, right? Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, let me let me ask you. I know this is the my interview here, but uh, but yeah, yeah, I, yeah. I, what's up? What's up? What's up? So, with with you, how how was that transitioning? Because you know, we talked about your dad a little bit earlier, and just for those who may, maybe you're not familiar with uh, uh, Darren Sad Daryl, he's man, he was just like such a pioneer in the whole renewal days in the Northwest. There's stories of him just shaking. One of his stories he would tell is he would just shake under the power of Holy Spirit to the uh, the the screws in his glasses kept coming out. He'd always have to get his glasses like repaired and, you know, just uh, crazy stuff happening. But, you know, you transitioning over basically taking over what what those guys planted. Like, how was that for you? Was there a, a thing where you always felt pastoral in that sense? That'd be one question. But also, what was it like maybe finding your own identity in that? Because I'm sure there was like the pressure to sort of be your dad. Anybody who's planted something and then somebody else takes the reins, I'm sure that's a that's a difficult thing at times. Yeah, certainly. Well, 
so my dad resigned in 97 and I didn't become the pastor till 2009. And so there was like, there was a, quite a bit of distance there between my dad and myself. The other gotcha. thing is that when my dad resigned, um, my parents were also kind of going through a divorce and mm-hmm. then the pastors that were put in, um, uh, when my dad transitioned the church over, that particular pastor didn't necessarily pastor it very well. <laughs> and then it went into new hands. And so the church went down to about 20 people. And then oh, it was it was actually my well, pat People who were listening from like how many hundreds? Big, big yeah, church. Yeah, right. Like we had a, a couple hundred members. And then we had literally thousands of people that were coming through the place for all of our conferences and everything like that. Yeah, it was a massive thing. Yeah. Yeah. So for me, I didn't feel like th- there wasn't really any pressure for me to have to be my dad when, when I came into that place of pastoral ministry. Mm-hmm. Um, and also, and there certainly wasn't any pressure to be kind of like, uh, to walk in that drunken glory kind of thing, you know? Um, yeah. in fact, when like I was kind of done with all of that stuff because yeah. I, I got hurt in it, you know? Yeah, so e- even when, um, Lakeland was kicking up with Todd, with Todd and all those guys, like, um, I was in this place of, um, being prepared to be a pastor and our elders knew and everyone, you know, so in this place of training and everything and our church was getting so excited. Like, this is it. This is it. This is like another Toronto. This is the, this is it. And I was like, Oh, I hope this isn't it. Like, I can't do this again. I can't, I can't do Toronto again. And I was hearing these crazy, like little sound bites that I used to hear in the nineties, like stop thinking and start drinking and like all these things I had, I hadn't heard in years. And yeah, I was yeah. like, no, like, no, no way. Like, you know, yeah. Um, yeah. and, uh, you know, and also just at that time coming back to to Christ just prior to receiving a pastoral call, like I said, like, dude, I like I, when I came back to Christ, like I plugged right into this reformed thing. Like at that time, yeah. like the, 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 the new Calvinism movement was really kicking up, yeah. especially here in Seattle. And you had all these Young guys that wear black shirts. <laughs> Young, restless, and reformed. <laughs> exactly, man. Like, yeah. and so, like, dude, I was going to our little, our charismatic revival church on Sunday mornings, and like, get my worship on, and that on Sunday nights, Andrew and I were going sit, sitting under Mark Driscoll. We did our, yeah. we did our, um, our premarital uh, counseling all there, you know. So, dude, I was like pretty anti drunkenness, pretty anti revival. Um, yeah. really until I became a pastor and I realized like, if I'm going to pastor a revival center, I like, I, I need to figure out who I am, you know? And, and so like your question regarding identity, like I had, I had some huge identity, like, like my own internal identity crisis that a lot of people didn't realize that I was going through just trying mm-hmm. to discover that place of honoring my dad in that drunken anointing and not blaming the drunkenness for what yeah. happened in our family, for what happened in our church. And yeah. so um, now to this day, like I, that's my, that's my, my deal, man, is I'm always like, God help me, like, let me fully honor my dad for who he was because yeah. I, I want to walk in that, in that legacy. Like I want that, that, you know, he would watch the glory, like he would watch the lightnings of God and they would form maps and tell him where he should travel. And he would, mm. you know, he would interact with the angelic and, he just walked in this crazy kind of realm that nobody really understood. And, um, and so, yeah, that's, that's a little bit of my own kind of story. But, um, so now, man, I just feel like I just want it all. I want the, yeah, 
the messiness of a true movement of God, you know, on the earth. But I also, I, but I also just love that gospel centeredness of, yes. you know, keeping Christ centered. And I think, yeah. I think it's gospel centeredness that really um, sets us up for longevity so that we don't just become flaky and weird, yeah. you know? And I think it's a, it is a real uh, temptation, I think, for people who have bur- been burned out in uh, charismatic land to there's a draw to Calvinism because it, it does seem so much more Christocentric. But then there are areas of it, obviously, where it's like, well, God sends people to hell intentionally, double predestination, some of those sorts of things. Right, the, right, right penal substitution stuff that, you know, when you start to back up and, whoa, hang on, how, how Christocentric is all this? And so, but, but man, it's a, it's, it's a journey, isn't it? So it's like, I think, I think part of the thing is not maybe being a, some, I mean, it's good to be, have dog, a, a healthy dogmatism. That's not a, a, that's not a bad word. We've made it a bad word if you're arrogant, but, but dogma is what we believe. There's a healthy dogmatism, knowing what you believe, but yet not being like an ideologue to where we can't, continue to learn and, and, uh, cause there, again, going back to where we just started with this, every camp has its strengths and its weaknesses and being able to discern those and not throw baby Jesus out with the bathwater, I think is, uh, is a healthy place to be for sure. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And, uh, yeah, I mean, I, I think that, uh, that that's one of the things that, I mean, I, I think it's funny whenever I see you on Facebook and you're, you know, I've seen some of the stuff that you posted about like ministers plagiarizing your work, you mm-hmm. know, um, like I'll just admit like, that's totally me, man. Like, you know, like, <laughs> it's funny, it's like my favorite thing to plagiarize is like the whole poop particles illustration. Like, are you 70% holy, 80% holy? Like if yeah. there were 1% poop particles in your water, <laughs> is yes. that pure water? Or right. I mean, I, I just, <laughs> you know, and I wonder how many, uh, closet ministers or pastors are watching your your uh, your YouTube videos. Like this guy's really good. I hope no one catches me watching this video. You know, delete their internet history so nobody. You know, uh, <laughs> my buddy found a uh, he found a a, a a mega church pastor. I'm talking mega church, and he was going through week after week, full on. Like even my jokes, everything just literally ripped word for word verbatim. <laughs> And I was thinking, man, as long as I get a royalty from that, that'd be amazing. But uh, otherwise, I just get paid in flattery. So, <laughs> did you hear, did you hear about those? Um, I just heard on a podcast recently about those uh, those comics in France that were doing that with Seinfeld and like our major kind of comics yes. that we have here in, I, in the U.S. I heard they, something about that. Yeah. yeah, yeah, literally taking their full stand-up act and re, and doing it in France. And yeah. these guys are like, these guys are huge. Like they got huge followings. Like they're, they're ballers in France. Right. But, yeah, yeah. but none of it's original at all. They're just, they're taking stuff. <laughs> <laughs> so it's funny that that's happening in the, in the, in the church, you know, oh, absolutely. But yeah. I thought, hey, if I admit it here, then, you know, then you're all good. Yeah. yeah you yeah, just yeah. gave credit. There it is. That's yeah. all it was. Yeah. Perfect. <laughs> I, I need, I need to start saying, well, you know, start, start quoting you, but I'm sure I, I think, but not, I mean, how many original thoughts are really original thoughts? I mean, we all piece together things and we're all a sort of a conglomeration. It's, it's hard for us to, we just forget where we, where we pick things up at, you know? So. 
Yeah. Yeah, man. But I just, I just appreciate what you're doing. Um, uh, yeah, what, you guys too. Absolutely. Yeah. And just the time that you made to, to have this conversation, I've, I've definitely had a lot of fun. And, um, I guess one of the things that we didn't talk about that I would love to talk with you about someday is I, I'd love to dive into the, the hell conversation. Oh yeah, um, absolutely. You know, Everybody I hell. exactly. Um, uh, we can, we can do, uh, beer in hell next time. <laughs> That'd be great. Yeah. I'd love to. Well, uh, and you guys aren't very far away. I mean, you're what, three hours away. We got to hang out sometime here in the flesh as well pretty soon. So yeah, I would love that, John. So yeah, thanks for what you're doing, man. I uh, just believe in for an awesome, an awesome year for you and your, and your family. And absolutely let's, let's connect and, uh, and have some fun, man. Yeah. Well, thank you too. And blessings on everything you guys are doing. Got so much uh, fresh stuff happening up there. It's exciting to hear about it. And yeah, let's hang out again. Thank you.